You are listening to an audio from Redemption City Church. If you would like to explore more resources or donate to this ministry, go to www.visitredemptioncc.com. Good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing this morning? Oh, we're still learning how to interact. How's everyone doing this morning? Good. It's a beautiful day. Um, the sun's out. It's always a good thing when the Oregon sun comes out because it's rare. And man, I'm just so excited to be here. If this is your, if actually, if you've been here for the first two weeks and this is your third week, thank you for hanging out with us. And we're just starting our first church plant um, for Redemption City Church through our network. And we're super excited about that. And if it's your first time here, welcome. We are super, super excited that you're here. We're in a series called the DNA series. And essentially what that means is we're laying down as a church family, our values and our characteristics of what we are as a church. And we believe by faith that it's the most important part of any church plant. On our first week, we looked at what it means to be a church and that there's over 350,000 expressions of churches here in America. And what separates every church um, from, from each other is really their values and their characteristics. And so this is an important time to be a eyewitness to what Redemption City Church is gonna be all about. And so on the screen right now, you're seeing um, that there's these different phases of of um, our series. The first week on June 9th, we looked at what does it mean to be marked by the gospel? And that means we as a people group moving from death to life without Christ, without Jesus and and the blood-bought gift that he did on Calvary. Our story was filled with isolation and we were lost, right? And we experienced pain and suffering. We know ultimately death, but with Jesus, right? With faith in him, we have an opportunity for our stories to become God's story and it is redeemed. And then last week, we looked at what does it mean to be marked by grace, right? And so for those who are here, we looked at what does it mean, right? We looked at it. What does grace mean? Grace means it's what God is providing to us. It's things that he does in his love that we don't deserve, right? And so the kids, we learned about what that means for you too. And then mercy, we looked at what that means, right? And that's God's love from the opposite side. He's withholding from us things that we do deserve, like judgment because he's a righteous God. But in his love, he has mercy on us. And this week, we're looking at what does it mean for our church to be marked by generosity? And it really starts with last week. What happens when you have a collision with God's grace and God's mercy? Generosity should flow from your heart. Next week, we're going to look at what does it mean to be marked by gathering? Or what does it mean for us to come together as a community, as a church? And then the following week, we looked at what does it mean to be marked by going? Right In Matthew chapter 28, we get one of Jesus' final commands, which is the Great Commission. What is our part in that? What is our part in Matthew chapter 28? And then we take a little bit of a turn. It's exciting. On July 14th, we have vision of the family, right? The family unit. What does the Bible have to say? What is our role as husbands, as wives? And then if you have children, how are we to be a family that's an ambassador for Christ's mission. And then practically, what does that look like to do life every day? Going to school, waking up your kids, going to work. What is the point of family? What is the point of life? We're gonna look at that in great detail. And then we're gonna look at what is the vision for godly manhood, right? And so basically, at least in America, we say that you're a man at the age of 18. 
Now, to me, that's relative, right? But that's what America says. You're a man. You can go to war at 18. You're a man, right? So what does it mean? And what does the Bible have to say about godly manhood? How do we walk that out? And then vision for godly woman, womanhood. What does it mean to be um, a woman after God's own heart, right? And how do we activate our faith um, in the unique roles that God has given us? And then finally, we look at what does it mean at Redemption City Church to be marked or have a vision for covenant family. And that's going to be an exciting time where for those who have been leaning in with us throughout this nine-week series, we're going to be talking about covenant membership, what it means to officially make that decision to become a covenant member of Redemption City Church. And so today I'm really excited because we learned a lot about what it means for the grace and the mercy of what God has done in our lives And now we're going to look at what it means for us to be marked by generosity. And so if you have your Bibles, and I really hope you're bringing your Bibles, um, you can open them to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 4. We're going to be looking at that passage, and we're going to see really an amazing example of God's great generosity. We're going to look at that in just a little bit, but you can take some time to get turned there. And so that's going to be towards the end of your Bible. Now, if you don't have your own Bible, we have Bibles to your left in the windowsill. They're turquoise, and you're free to use one of those. We just ask that you would put them back um, when you're done. And so now we are only in our third week as a church, so we're doing a lot of teaching, not just the Bible teaching, but teaching our culture. So we use the English Standard Version, right? The ESV version as our primary translation here at Redemption City. Now, we'll occasionally use the NLT and the NIV, King James, and other translations, but our primary one will be the ESV. And me and Jack, as elders of this church, um, we believe that the um, ESV is the best option for our church um, in terms of it being a literal translation, word for word, with the combination of being easy for the everyday reader. Okay? And so we're going to get into the word right now. So if you can bow your heads, we're going to pray. And we're not going to invite the Lord into our service because the Lord is here. He doesn't need our invitation. We're going to pray to center our hearts to see what God might do this morning. Amen? Let's pray. Abba Father, thank you so much for this morning. This morning that you've created, Lord, before the foundation of the world. You keep waking us up and pumping oxygen into our lungs and it's just so incredible. Lord, thank you for providing us a safe place to gather together as a community for the common goal of worshiping you alone with no one else. We acknowledge that thousands, Lord, thousands upon thousands of our brothers and sisters in the faith are being persecuted right now in this moment because of their faith in you. So we don't want to take for granted this Sunday morning where we have a safe place and a comfortable place with air conditioning to assemble. Don't let us take it for granted. Lord, I so desperately desire for the people here and even those years from now who maybe would watch this service online to have an encounter with you, Jesus. And I am so deeply aware of how powerless I am at making that happen. This morning, my heart is heavy. Lord, it's heavy because I know that some are going to walk in here today and they're going to walk out with callous hearts. And that really does break my heart, Lord. So, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would soften hearts, that you would open open minds and open our eyes so that we might see the glorious truth that's proclaimed throughout your word. And it's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, I was spending some time this week, um, sometimes in the morning, sometimes in the evening, different pockets where I'm trying to have 
yeah, time to prepare this sermon, this message. And um, I was in an old account I have. It's a Yahoo account. And uh, I came ac- across an old email that I sent as a pastor. And I was just, I saw the timestamp and I was like, I can't believe it. And so guys, I've been in ministry now in some capacity for 14 years. I mean, it's incredible to look at that email. Um, 14 years, it's almost half of my life. And I know that's because of God's grace and mercy. You know, I came into ministry at 19 years old as a part-time youth pastor. Um, and I was clearly in over my head. I didn't know what I was doing, but um, there I was pastoring at 19, right? And then by the time I was 21, I had become a student ministries to, um, pastor um, at that church. And basically what that meant is I got the privilege and the honor of overseeing our littlest little babies in the nursery all the way to young adults that were about age 21 to 23 years old. And because of God's great grace and mercy upon my life, but okay, kids, adults, we learned about that last week. So let's say that again, now that we understand what that means, because of all the things that God was providing for me that I did not deserve out of his love, like this opportunity to be a pastor at 19 and 20, like financial resources to provide for my beautiful family, right? He was providing those graces, right? And he was also providing mercy. My character was not caught up yet to the gifting that that he had given me, right? Um, There were parts of me, sin parts of me that really need to be worked on, but because of God's mercy, he's allowed me, his grace and his mercy have allowed me to be in ministry for 14 years. And I know that that is an amazing, incredible thing to praise the Lord for. It really is. There's so many people in ministry, actually, since this is a Statistically, most pastors do not pastor more than three to four years. They have burnout and they get another career. So for me to be in ministry in some capacity for 14 years is a great grace of the Lord. Now, whether I was in California or I was moving here to Oregon, one of the things that I've always been known as or known for is being marked by generosity. Those who are in my closest circles would tell you that. It's something that even like on a pastor's appreciation, they would say. And it's an awesome thing to be known as a man of great generosity. But I'm here to tell you that all generosity is not created equal. It's not. You see, there's a type of generosity that's God-honoring, and there's a type of generosity that clearly isn't. There have been many seasons in my life where I was doing and performing the acts of generosity, but they were coming from the wrong power source. Are you following me? Are you tracking with me? They were coming from the wrong power source. And that's why I had a hard time lasting. So I would perform acts of generosity, but I couldn't sustain those acts of generosity because the power source was the wrong place. You see, it wasn't until the God of the universe, the God of the universe redeemed parts of my heart, specifically in my university of suffering is what I call it. For those of you who don't know, we have a lot of just teaching again to know each other. I was in a really severe um, chiropractic um, accident back in 2012 where I became functionally disabled from the neck down. I lost the ability to do a lot of walking and talking. My beautiful wife had to take care of me, dress me, help feed me. She still has to help putting, put all my shirts on to this day. I have a lot of different limitations. And it was during this suffering of the, that God was really just teaching me the deep waters of so many things and generosity was one of them. And so as he redeemed what my viewpoint of generosity was, I was able to have a different power source and a more lasting one. And that's what we're here to talk about today. 
We're here to talk about what that means. And so I want to tell you a story. I'm really passionate about a lot of things. Those of you who know me, I'm passionate about a lot of things. But one thing that I'm super passionate about is men's discipleship. You know, I have this program um, that God put on my heart called the Journeyman Discipleship Program, where young men between the ages of 18 and 25 get to um, be in this program for a year where they get to learn how to go on a radical and intentional journey into Christ-centered living, relationships, um, and manhood, right? And so um, throughout the years, I've been in young men's life um, between the ages of 14 to about age 30 and, and been mentoring and discipling and counseling them. And I, I was thinking about three young men in, in, in particular who reached this thing that I call the breaking point. Um, the breaking point is a, re- is a really real thing. And so basically what I call the breaking point is when we get to a point, and this, you may have already had this in your life, it's not unique to them, where you are running hard you are trying so hard, you are performing so hard, trying to do good things, trying to do Christian acts, and you reach a breaking point where you're exhausted and you're tired and you can't do it any longer. You see, these young men that are on my mind, um, that are on my mind right now, they were pursuing two things, godly manhood and to be a pastor one day. And let me tell you, aspiring to be a pastor is no easy feat. Um, it, it comes with a lot of complexities. It can be very, very draining and tiring and soul soul. Hmm. It just can just devastate your soul. It's a, it's a huge weight, right? But and here's the thing with these young men: <laughs> when they reached this breaking point, what they unfortunately got caught up in was looking at and what I was doing, right? So they're watching me as their mentor, watching me as their pastor, depending on what season this was. And they're like, "Okay, man, I want to be I want to be a man of God like like my mentor, or I want to be a, a man of God like Pastor Brandon." And so they're trying to do the things that I do. They're trying to say the things that I say. They're trying to be generous in the ways that I'm generous, but they don't have the power source and the foundation. They were not understanding that part, and so they reached a breaking point. You know, I reached my own breaking point at the age of 23 in a similar way, watching those who have come before me and trying to mimic those acts, but not having the power source. And here is essentially what these young men were saying, and I want to share it with you today. Brandon, how are you able to give and care for me and your family and others all at the same time? And you do it so well. How do you do it so consistently? How do you do it for those who wrong against you? How do you do that? How do you give financially to others when you have so many needs yourself, medically and financially? And um, I don't know how to, if I can do that. I don't know if I can love and, and give like that. How do you keep persevering when you don't want to persevere anymore? I'm not sure I can last. I don't know if I can do it. Maybe God hasn't called me to be a pastor. Maybe I'm not saved. Maybe I'm not a Christian. Because if I was, why is it so hard? You see, all these young men, they didn't have the words at that moment to articulate what they were really asking. But here's the real question that's going to be on the screen. Here's the real question they were asking. How does one live and not just perform as a person that is marked by generosity? I'm going to say that again. How do you and I live and not just perform as a person that is marked by generosity. See, oftentimes when we come to church and we see a sermon called generosity, we think it's just going to be a direct line to tithes and offerings, pay me money, we need money, our church needs money. Generosity is so much wider and so much deeper than just talking about your offerings and talking about your tithings or talking about your service. It's, it's all about the well that it comes from, deep within your soul and deep within your heart. You see, with these young men that I'm um, referring to in this story, their natural eyes could only see what was happening from an 
from an external perspective. They could see the things that I was doing, but they had no idea of the inner workings of what Christ had done in my heart. And that happened for me at 23. I was looking at the pastors who were above me. We look at these people like these pillars of the faith, like Billy Graham and, and the people we look up to. And we say, man, I want to I want to be faithful, man of God like that. I want to be a faithful woman of God like that. But unfortunately, and this is a huge issue with discipleship. And I'm hoping that here at Redemption City, as we keep growing, we're only in our third week, that we would really have a discipleship model where we get behind the scenes with each other. We open our hearts. We open our lives so that people can see why, the why, the why, and the what of how we serve so that we can have the right foundation. Now, here's the truth. I want you to know some truth. The truth is I don't always have the feeling of generosity. And all you have to do is be a little bit older, right? There's some people that are a little bit older in here. All you have to do is be a little bit older to know that's true. You don't always have the feeling. No one does. My personal heart and affections don't always feel like being a generous man. This is true. Like everyone else, there's times where I'm hurt and I'm afraid and I'm lonely and I'm anxious and I want to protect myself and I just want to be comfortable in and of my own self. I have those moments. But again, it's what God has done inside of me. It's me knowing and interacting with, the, with God's great grace and mercy upon my life that keeps me in a posture of generosity. And so here's two things, and we're going to read them together, that I want us to look at in terms of the difference between godly generosity and worldly generosity. Okay, number one, generosity begins with God, not me. I want you to say that with me. We've got to interact. We're going to be a family. We're going to talk as family talks. Say generosity, generosity. begins with God, begins with God. And, not me. and not me. And here's worldly generosity. Okay, worldly generosity says worldly generosity begins with myself. Say worldly generosity, worldly generosity. begins with myself. These are totally different things, and we got to talk about that this morning. You see, apart from Christ, we are unable to give of ourselves in a pure and redemptive way. It is impossible. I want you to think about that. Without God, apart from Christ, you can't give in the purest, most righteous ways. You see, without a new heart that God transforms, at best, think about this, think about this, at best, whatever you do from a generous heart, at best, is still going to end with it being what you did for someone, what you could provide for someone. That's at best. But at worst, it can be manipulative. It can be controlling. It can have ulterior motivations. I can't tell you how many times within my life that I have done generous things that I thought seemingly were from the right heart. But as I've grown and matured, as I spent time in counseling to work on things in my own self, I'm like, man, was that truly a pure, generous act? Or is that rooted in my own insecurity? Was I looking for something? Was I looking for affection? Was I looking for love? So what does it look like to be generous from a pure way that's rooted in God? You see, God is the true and only and ultimate author of generosity. We see in the scripture that it says that he is love, right? Jesus didn't just display love. He is the very definition of love. We, know, we see in the Bible that Jesus isn't just proclaiming truth. What do we know? What does the Bible tell us? He is truth. So in that same way, it's not just that God is proclaiming generosity. 
God is the very definition of generosity. And so just like last week, I spent time this week and I was, and I was kind of looking through the scriptures from Old Testament to New Testament for examples of God's great generosity. And I wanted to put together a, a definition that we could rally, rally around as a church family, similar to grace and mercy, so that we can understand rightly what generosity is. Are you ready for that? Okay, here it is. It's called generosity initiated. And basically what that means is this is the first part of what it means to be generous from a God perspective. And it's God's part. So this is the start of generosity. Throughout the rest of this message today, we're going to build a bridge and we're going to end with generosity fully explained, which is going to be a combination of God's part and then our response. But our response is totally irrelevant without understanding God's part. So let's look at that. Generosity initiated. Generosity is an expression of God's love manifested or seen or experienced through his willingness to give and bless us spiritually, relationally, emotionally, financially, and for eternity. And this is done all for his glory. So here, listen, this is, if this is your first time here, I want you to start to get this culture. We are not coming to be tickled by the word of God. We're going to be looking at 1 Peter in a moment. I'm not here to entertain you. I'm here to exhort you to pay attention, to lean into the scripture and to do your work, to be a student learner. You, I have a part, which is to be faithful to this word of God and to present it to you purely. You have a part and that's to interact and to work hard and to see what God is trying to teach you this morning. So how is generosity happening? How does God show us his generosity spiritually? He does that through his grace and mercy. We learned that last week in Exodus chapter 34 with Moses on Mount Sinai or in John chapter 8 with the woman caught in adultery. How does God show his or display his generosity relationally? Well, he does that like in 1 John chapter 1 through providing community and fellowship. That is a gift from God. God is, God is the author of community. The first community was God in and of himself, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they wanted to, they had so much love in between themselves, they wanted to share that community, and they created man and woman. How does God's generosity display emotionally? Well, we see that in 1 John, by it, that he attends to our deepest desires. We serve a God on high that is concerned with our deepest and most intimate desires. And how does God bless us financially? He does that by making sure we have all that we need. And how does God bless us eternally? We see that in John chapter 14. He provides a path to new life. In, in his love, he's provided us an opportunity to have a right relationship with him where we get to dwell with him forever in eternity. Now, kids, raise your hand if you're under the age of 13. Raise your hand up high. I just want to thank you again. We, our kids club is starting in about, what, three, four weeks? I'm not, I, I never know. I know. Jack, Pastor Jack told us, but it's going to be starting. I know that, right? It's going to be starting in, in three or four weeks. Thank you for coming. You have a part today. You've got to participate. If you open your Redemption City roadmap, you're going to see in there, there's a blue part. The blue part's your part, okay? And so, hey, if you're an adult right now and you're a little bit annoyed by this, you need to not get annoyed. You need to get over yourself. Kids are important to God. And so we want to, hey, if they're a little bit making some noise, hey, 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 it's okay. Like, th these are God's children. We care about them. And so it, here's your part, okay? Pay attention. Look up at the screen. 
Generosity is God's love seen in how He gives me really, really good things in my life. That's what God does for you. And look, that I need. God gives you what you need. And sometimes He's even so generous, He gives you what you want. He keeps your heart happy. Wow, that's what God does for you. He keeps your heart happy. He gives me the opportunity to live with Him forever in heaven so that I would believe and say one day, He's awesome. So when God is generous to you, you know what He wants you to do in return? He wants you to say, my God is awesome. That's what it means to glorify God. That's a big fancy word that you hear your mom and dad say, glorify God, make much of Him. It means say He's awesome. God is awesome, right? Because He really, truly is. But we want to look at the Word of God, um, because the Word of God is clearly better than anything I could ever share with you, about what God has to say about generosity. And so in 2 Peter, hopefully your Bibles are open there right now, to chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. And this is the Word of the Lord. Um, It says, His divine power, this is Peter talking in a letter, and the point of this whole letter is to encourage two things, for you and I as believers to know God and to understand what He has done for us. That is the point of what Peter is proclaiming in this letter. To know what the Lord, your God, has done for you and I. So here's what the word of the Lord says. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So that through them you may become partakers of divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of a sinful desire. Now, I'm pursuing my second master's right now in Christian leadership and theology. And there's this professor, and he, um, he said this on the first day of class, and it was super, super, uh, I-, I loved it. He's 73, right? He goes, I'm 73 years old. I've been teaching theology for over 30 years, and I'm so excited to wake up every single morning and to see something new and fresh in the Word of God. It's the most exhilarating experience ever. That's crazy. I want to be 70 70 years old one day, all old and and, and wise and and wrinkly and, and affectionately wrinkly, and just be like, man, when I open that Word of God, I am seeing something that stirs my heart. See, there is so much packed right here in these two verses. We can't even explore it all. But I want us to see God's generosity on display. So what we're going to do is I'm going to invite you into my study time. This is how I study the Word of God. We're going to break it down. We're going to open it up. And so here we go. It's going to be on the screen right now. So His divine power. Stop right there. Charles Spurgeon, who was one of the great preachers um, in the last 100, 200 years, also you can consider him a theologian, has this to say about God's divine power. It's God's divine power that put the stars in the sky. Think about that. It's because of God's divine power that he created you and I. It's kind of a rhyme because he's great at that. That's what Charles Spurgeon does. Because of God's divine power suspended the stars in the sky. God's divine power created you and I. And it's that same power, that creative power that suspended all these stars in the sky that created you and I, that he's granted something to us. This is an act of generosity. God in his love granted to us all 
things. Do you want to know what all translate, translates in uh, Greek? All. All. All things that pertain to life. Stop right there. Because we pass by the Word of God so quickly. God in His divine power has granted. He has performed an act of generosity by providing all things we need in life. So, when you are feeling overwhelmed with life, Moms, when you feel like you don't know left from right and you don't know how you're going to wake up and have the energy to do this thing called raising your kids. Dads, when you don't know how you're going to make ends meet. Young adults that are trying to figure out, how am I going to put it all together? How am I going to, how am I going to go to school and, and, and get my homework done and serve the Lord and have time for myself? When you feel completely and utterly overwhelmed, we have a great promise from the Lord, an act of generosity. And it says that in His divine power, He has provided all things for life. But in His act of generosity, He gives you more than just what you need for life. He gives you everything you need for godliness. So that you can be in a right relationship with him. So that you can do life well. You can do life well with God. Through the knowledge of him. What does that mean? The, so often we spend so much time. So much of our finances trying to understand ourselves more. And there's a time and a place for that. Some, we, go to, we, we go to counseling. We read self-help books. Trying to understand more about who we are. How many know that the more time we can spend knowing who God is, we get an opportunity to know more about ourselves in that order. Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. He wants to share that with us by which He has granted. Here's another act of generosity. Something else God is providing that we do not deserve. This is a grace. We don't deserve it. So, so He's granted to us his precious and very great promises. There's many promises proclaimed in the scripture, but one of them is that we get an opportunity to be sons and daughters of the Lord. Adopted children of God. Wow. So that through them, you may become partakers. This is you receiving now. You're receiving generosity from God. This is where it all starts with. You cannot, you cannot perform acts of generosity if you first don't understand how how gracious and how generous God has been to you and I, and we don't deserve it. So that through them, you may become partakers, receiving that generosity of divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of a sinful desire. You see, godly generosity should empower us to want to be generous, not have to be generous. But unfortunately, Generosity is one of the hardest topics for churches to talk about. It's just a reality. Let's just be real. We're a family. Let's talk about that. Um, people fear the moment that generosity is talked about in church. Um, they fear that you're just going to try to take them, take all their money. Or they fear that if they give of themselves in a really, really radical way, am I going to be provided for? Am I going to be okay? If I really give, am I going to be okay? And it's true, there are churches out there that have wrong motives, that have lost the right vision, a godly vision. But you want to know what else is true? There are thousands of brothers and sisters gathering this morning all across this country, led by faithful men and women leaders in God's church 
who have high integrity, that are leaning in right now, who are radically and intentionally sacrificing every area of their life because of their love for Jesus and for no other reason. And we have an opportunity right now as a beginning church to join those faithful churches in being men and women and people and a church marked by godly generosity. Did you know that the Bible talks more about faith? I mean, it talks more about money than even faith and prayer in the Bible. I'm going to say that to you again. The Bible communicates more about money than the topic of faith and prayer. Do you want to know something else? Over 15% of all of Jesus' words is about money. That is a lot of intentionality, only about money. So if the Bible talks about money more than faith and prayer, if Jesus spent more time or spent 15% of all of his words that we have recorded in the Holy Scripture about money, I think that if a church is silent about money, it's almost like we're committing spiritual malpractice. It's clearly super important to the God of the universe. It's clearly important in the Bible. Therefore, it's important for us. You see, um, in Matthew chapter 6, it says that where our treasure is, so our heart will also be found. So in a way, (laughs) money is like an MRI to our hearts. It tells us what we value most. Um, I have some more devastating facts that I want to share with you. Only about 15%, and this is being generous, actually, only about 15% of Bible-believing, Christ-exalting Christians in our country are tithing. That's less than two out of every ten people trust the Lord with 10% of their income. We're not here to have a full um, sermon today about tithing and offering. We're here to talk about generosity, but I want to share that with you. Less than two out of ten people trust the Lord after all that He's provided for them spiritually, financially, relationally, emotionally, and eternally. We don't trust Him. Here's some more devastating news. Less than 10% regularly provide offering to the church. It's devastating. What does that mean? That means that over 8 out of 10 people come to church to consume, not contribute. To come, to hear, to be served, but not to serve. This is devastating news. One more thing. I need you to lean in with me because this is important. This is super important. And I believe you are here for a reason and God wants you to know this. If only... 50%, this is according to Christianity News Today, if 50% of Christians, oh, this isn't a secular report, so I don't think that this is a secular report beating up on Christians. These are from brothers and sisters in the faith. You need to listen in. If 50% of Christians tithe, that means if only half of us today did it, and half of every church did it, did you know that we have enough resources to solve all of the world's poverty in the church so all of, all of us as, as Bible-believing Christians who are always complaining about Donald Trump and complaining about the government, I want you to know right now that if 50% of Bible-believing Christians would tithe their money and trust God with 10% of their income, we could solve all the, all the Compassion International and all that. Forget it all. We could solve world's poverty. 
we could also, it's not either or, we could also completely eradicate early onset diseases. That's not all. We could also, in addition to both of those, completely take care of every sanitation disease known to man. And here's, here's the most convicting number of all and have over $100 billion left over. What does that tell you about the state and the heart of God's people? I am not here this morning to condemn you, to judge you, to make you feel bad. I'm here to tell you real numbers, real facts, and real realities about the heart and the condition of God's church. We, as a gospel-centered community, have to do our part. But we can't do it if God hasn't done the work in our hearts first. You know why? Because we'll be performing and we'll be acting. We won't be living it out. And you'll be reaching your own breaking point. So this is not going to end with you feeling like a compulsion to have to give. But I want to challenge you. And I want to invite you to think about what God might be calling you to do this morning. But we're not alone. We're not alone as a community with this call. We can actually look to another community who is faced with the same challenge. We're going to look at two communities who approach it in two different ways. And so if you can join with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we're going to, we're going to be finishing our sermon here in this text. <clears throat> and so um, the spiritual state of Corinthians during the second letter um, was not good. In fact, it was really, really bad. It was so bad that Paul felt it was warranted to write a second letter. Um, and so um, there had been some quarreling going on, and unfortunately there were some disputes against the, the, um, the Church of Corinth and Paul. They weren't, kind, they weren't getting along, and the Church of Corinth had made some, some um, kind of some commitments um, to, to Paul about helping out the people in Jerusalem because they were experiencing extreme poverty, okay? They were experiencing some extreme poverty, so the Church of Corinth was supposed to be leaning in and sharing what they had. Um, but because of some disputes and some disagreements with Paul, um, they were having some second thoughts about that. Um, and so the church of Corinth was in the southern part of Greece. And then in the northern part of Greece, there was another church called um, the Macedonian church, right? And they were in the northern part of Greece. And they were having a totally different response to how to be generous. And so we're going to look at that. So this is Paul communicating in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1-8. through 8, And we're going to see a beautiful picture of God's people doing an amazing act of generosity. Here we go. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God. So this is Paul communicating to the Corinthian church about the other church in Macedonia. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God. We have got to stop reading that phrase without pausing and understanding what it means. We want you to know, brothers, about all that God has provided to this church that they did not deserve, but that God in his love granted them anyway. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given, not earned. God gave it among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe, not easy, not light, not convenient, not comfortable, in a severe test of affliction. So that means like a hard time, kids, in a severe test. So in a really hard time, their abundance of joy, whoa, tension point, 
it seems like those don't match. Severe tests of affliction, their abundance of joy. What? Why do they have an abundance of joy in a, in a season of severe affliction? Because it has everything to do with where their heart was at. I'm going to say that again. It has everything to do with where their heart is at. I feel it is so much easier at the age of 33 years old right now to be generous when I have spent, alongside my wife and my family, over $200,000 now in medical bills. With more physical disabilities, it is easier for me to give and to be generous than it ever was when I had way more money in my bank account with way better health and the only thing that's changed is my internal atmosphere. If you struggle to give of your time and in your money, but you, you know, you're that feeling like, man, I want to do it, but I can't, I'm scared. I want to challenge you to not start with the act and to start with what's going on in your atmosphere inside. So here goes this church in Macedonia. So for, a, so for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty, they were poor. Here's, this, here's what's so amazing. The church of Corinth had way more resources than the church of Macedonia. But the church of Macedonia was able to give abundantly. And the church of Corinthian, the church of Corinth needs this letter to be encouraged to give. So in their extreme poverty, they have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. They are overflowing in a wealth of generosity. They were giving of their time, of their resources, of everything they had. It was overflowing out of their hearts. For they gave according to their means. So what that means, so let's make sure we understand the text. Giving according to their means is signifying that they did not actually have a lot to give. It, maybe you're here today, you're like, man, if I made a lot of money, if I made six figures, I would give so much. But I, I make minimum wage. I make this money. I'm barely making ends meet. God has a message for you. I remember being in college, a college student, like, I definitely am not in a season of giving. I'm in a season of, like, dying because I can't afford anything. The word of the Lord has a message for you because these people were in poverty. You're not in poverty. You're rich. You're rich. You have more money. If you look at the rest of the world, you are in the top 10 percentile of wealth in the world. You're not in poverty. In extreme poverty, excuse me, have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means. So maybe your, 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 your generosity is one hour a week, and that's all you have. Maybe your act of generosity is, is $50 or whatever it is. I don't know. But are you leaning in, and are you giving according to your means? But here's where I love the challenge of Scripture. And as I can testify, what does it say? And what? beyond their means. So that first they gave exactly what they could, up to their limit. Then because of God's great grace in them, because of their, they, they were feeling the love of God, because they were interacting with all that Jesus had done. They knew. They had not forgotten. we got to stop, because we, we can't just let this be a Bible, st a Bible story, and then we're coloring, and then we're bored. Guys, it wasn't that long ago 
that they were being persecuted. It wasn't that long ago that Jesus was walking this earth. And then they, they watched the son crucified. They watched him rise from the dead. Then he was exalted on high. This is this people group. They know what Jesus has done. Their lives are being transformed. They are moving from their story into God's story. And because of God's great grace on their life, they decided out of their heart to now give beyond what they even could. Begging us for the... What? Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. I don't know if you just got that. The people in Jerusalem were poor, and Paul was basically raising a campaign for churches to give to the people in Jerusalem. And in case you didn't get this, it's not like the Macedonians were rich. In their own poverty, they gave according to their means and beyond their means because of their love for the Lord. In verse 5, we're going to continue on. And this, not as we expected. <laughs> Even Paul's shocked. <laughs> and not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. Here's Paul basically talking about what I was talking about, saying like, hey, I, perhaps he was expecting it to just be an act of performance. He's like, hey, and not even as we expected, but they gave themselves. And here's the key. Lean in with me. I need you to lock in with me right now because this is the difference. Forget, forget today's message. Forget what, what, where we end. Forget whether Redemption City is going to be your church or not. I want you to know this right now. You have two choices as a Bible-believing Christian. Your acts can come first from the Lord. starts with God. Or it can start with you. If it starts with you, it'll die with you. If it starts with God, you're going to last. You're going to endure. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. People of God, you've got to give yourself to God. You have got to surrender your life to the Lord. And then, and then, after giving themselves to the Lord, and then, by the will of God to us. Have you given yourself to the Lord? Maybe you're exploring, like, man, is Redemption City Church going to be my home church? Hey, have you first explored, is your life completely His? Does your life belong to God? Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. Here's the key. Look, here's the key. Look at this. But as you excel in everything, this is the church of Corinth, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness. See, the church of Corinth was wealthy in many ways. They had, fi they had finances. They had a great... This was not a bad church. They always get a bad rap of being like this bad church. No. They were excelling in faith. They were doing great acts of faith. They were excelling in speech. This was a people group. You know, it's like those churches. You ever been to those churches where you go and like, man, everybody can communicate. They have like 25 communicators. And you go to their Bible studies. And you're like, who cannot not talk about the Bible at this church? I mean, everybody's just... So they, in speech, they were excelling. In knowledge, they were just... They, they just knew the Bible. They knew the Bible, right? I'm trying to make it make sense for us in our context. And then, it, so they had all these gifts, but they were failing in one area. And I think that happens a lot in our American churches. Beautiful, beautiful churches. Beautiful sermons. Beautiful community groups. Beautiful knowledge. But in this one area, 
obviously, because only 15% of Christians tithe. We don't trust God. So what is Paul saying? But as you excel in everything else, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I'm challenging you this morning to say, hey, some of you have been Christians for years. You have been faithful for years. But hey, see that you also excel in this area. Verse 8, I say this not as a command. I love that. Not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is genuine. When you give that your 10% to God, when you lean in and you give your offerings of your time, your talent, your resources, it's not because you have to. It signifies that you trust God and that you really have a spiritual maturity of understanding what God has done for you. And so up on the screen, you're going to see the second thing on our chart for godly generosity. You see, God's grace compels us. This is what we're learning this morning. God's grace, it should compel us to joyfully give beyond our means. To take part in the relief of God's work. Therefore, our hearts are eager, like begging. We should have a begging heart. There's t- me, me and my wife, we established a, uh, um, something we call the blessing budget, where it's like, man, we, we're eager to give it away. We want to give it away. Nobody's making us. It doesn't matter what I have going on with my body. It doesn't matter. There's, uh, man, who can we give it to? 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 Begging, begging to contribute. God is, cre- God is credited as the chief supplier. So when you're giving and you, have a, and you are marked by a godly generosity, you don't get the credit God does. There are things that we have done as a family that no one will ever know about because God gets the credit. There are things that even for this church to become into being that God gets the credit for. Hey, but on, for worldly generosity, worldly generosity is this. We give out of any reason. Sometimes some reasons are more righteous than others, but they're all, they're all impure. And we are credited. This is the worst part. We are credited as, as the chief supplier. That's why God says to give in secret, right? To give in secret. That's the difference. Last thing on godly generosity, the difference. God, um, God's overwhelming generosity towards me. So when you, when you experience what he did for you, I don't know what he's done for you. He's done a lot for me. God's overwhelming generosity towards me creates an eternal wealth. What does eternal mean? Forever. You can answer to me too. I, I know every church code is different, but listen, here at Redemption, we got to talk. You can talk. You can say amen, all that good stuff, okay? So what, what, man, God's overwhelming generosity towards me creates an eternal wealth. Eternal means, man, this is not going to perish. Inside of me, inside of me, that overflows in generosity, that points to the Creator. And then we share with others. Hey, we're going to take a time out in church right now. We get to do that because, see, we're not going to be so formal. We're going to just do church. Hey, everybody, hey, kids, all I know is that it's uh, 1129, and you guys have been super duper way up high in the sky awesome. And so parents, adults in here, on the count of three, we're going to say one, two, three. We're going to say thank you to the kids because they're doing great. Ready? One, two, three. You guys are so awesome. You should tell your parents that I'm going to stop right there. (laughs) 
All right. God's overwhelming generosity towards me creates an eternal wealth inside of me that overflows in generosity to the point where uh, that points to the Creator. It, listen, it needs to point to the Creator. Then we share with others. Here's worldly generosity. Worldly generosity carries no eternal wealth. None. It'll perish. It's over. Hey, hey, your 401ks, your, everything you're trying to do, it's great. There's wisdom in that. We'll have a time for that later, but it will, it will end. It will terminate. And it only points to yourself. Hmm. It only points to yourself. You see, the secret of being generous in your life is to really interact and acknowledge what God has done for you. I want you to think about that for a moment. I want you to kind of just leave where you're at. Kids, you can do this. Everybody, I want you to kind of, you can close your eyes, you keep your eyes open. I want you to think about this. You see, God has been super generous to me in my life by giving me life. I want you to think about the fact that you have life. My life, I felt was about to be taken from me. About six or seven years ago, it felt like I was dying. So I really interact with what that means. And because God has granted me life, I want to give my life away. That's what those of you need to understand. How are you giving so much? Because God has given to me. Hey, he's been generous because he's provided people to be hospitable towards me. I moved here with three other people from my old church who committed over $10,000 of their personal... Oh, by the way, they were like 23 years old. And they gave up $10,000 to get me and my wife and my young family situated. They paid for my treatment. Talk about man hospitality. (laughs) My parents moved here. They didn't have to do that hospitality. Hey, Pastor Jack and Vanessa have been there for me in times where I was just broken. Hospitality. So I want to be a man that is marked because I've received it from God. Man, what what have you experienced in terms of hospitality and are you providing it? Man, God's been generous to me because He's provided great friendships. He gave them to me. That's why I want to be a good friend. Are you experiencing that? And are you giving that? And finally, God has been incredibly generous in my life because He's offered me grace and mercy. I run to opportunities to give grace, you know. Um, I'm going to try not to do too many examples with my my kids. I want to honor them, but, you know, my son was having a a little bit of a hard day yesterday, and he had a couple moments. And all that's in my heart is that I fail every single day, and I fall short of the glory of God. I am like a, a brat child in the Lord's eyes. I constantly have to say I'm sorry. We call it repentance. I constantly am saying I repent. I constantly am saying I'm sorry. I constantly am am trying to make amends for something. And he just, God just never gives up on me. He never gives up. His love never runs out on me. Right? Never. 
when my son is struggling, I, all I can think about is my mom, grace moment, grace moment, grace moment, grace moment, to display that love to my child. Are you looking for, to give grace to your children, to your spouse, to your friend, to your neighbor? So here's going to be where we land the ship. And it's with generosity explained. And here's our part. It's going to be on the screen now. In, it's going to be in blue. So we already saw God's part. And it has to start there. I on purpose didn't put the whole definition up there. And towards about Thursday, I was like, okay, God, how do I, how do I write this definition to really encompass what your word is saying about our response? And here it is. Because of God's part, therefore, his generosity towards us compels us to share all that we have and all that we are as a demonstration that we rightly understand all of what God has provided for us. Wow. We give all that we are and all that we have because of what God has done for us. Here's for the kids. Kids, this is your part in blue. Okay, so remember, God is awesome. He's, he's doing things. He's keeping your heart happy. He, he's providing things for you that you need. And because of all that, because he is so awesome, this is what I want you to say. And, and if you want to repeat after me, you can repeat after me. If you don't, it's kind of, so repeat after me, kids. So because, because God is awesome, I want to give my very, very best to others who may not have what they need. I want to do this with a big smile on my face and telling them what God has done for me. That's generosity explained. Now, you're going to have two opportunities right now as we get ready to close service to activate your generosity. But please give me your eyes for a second, please, just for one moment. This is not a gotcha gimmick sermon for you to give. In fact, if your heart doesn't want to give, but you feel like you have to because of social pressure, you should definitely not give. But if you are experiencing the truth and the knowledge of Him, namely God, namely Jesus Christ, if this, if this sermon has stirred up in you a, rem, a remembrance of what God has done for you, I want you to interact with this opportunity that you have today. Inside of your Redemption City Roadmaps, you have a pledge card. And on that pledge card, you have two sides to it. I really wish I had one right now. Um, and on one side, you can pledge your finances. And on the other side, you can pledge your time. On the screen right now, um, you have an opportunity to be generous with your time and talents. Listen up, parents and people who are not parents. Our kids have done an awesome job, and I know that's the grace of God. And if you're a parent, you know that's the grace of God, that we are having our third service, and these kids are like hanging in here. So parents, thank you. But, but here's the thing, our kids deserve a space. We are ready to give them a space. We have the supplies. We have the resources. We have a beautiful room for them, but we need volunteers, specifically five. We are set to launch on July 24th, I believe is the date. 
Um, I think it's, it's on your redemption city roadmap, but that can only happen if we get five volunteers. Now, here's the thing about a small church. I came from a smaller church that grew and grew and grew. I have a lot of experience with this. Listen to me. I know that it's hard to be a part of a small church plant. You know, what, you know why? Because it feels like you have 18 titles. I'm a churchgoer, a this, a that, I'm that. Hey, God is going to bless you for being generous in this season. All these churches that you've come from that are established, I want you to know this. They started as churches built upon five to ten families who literally poured their whole life out so that you could go to that church 15 years later and just go to all their small groups and show up to their barbecues. You get to be an eyewitness from the very beginning, and you get to be a part of building a church that 15 years from now, somebody else is coming and they're experiencing the fruit of your labor. But we need to have volunteers. Maybe you can do that. Maybe God's calling you to do that. Maybe it's outside of your comfort zone. Maybe you're like, I've never worked with kids, but maybe God's calling you to stretch yourself. I know that I'm having to stretch myself physically. I know that everybody on our leadership team is stretching themselves. Would you consider, hey, I'm not sure if I'm going to be a member or not. Hey, but can you serve while you're figuring that out so that we can launch our children's ministry faithfully? Another thing that you have an opportunity to do is worship. We need people for tech. We need people to help us set up. So you have an opportunity to um, sign up for any one of those areas, but you'll see in red, we really need someone. Our kids are ready for their kids club, but we need your help. Amen? Amen? Okay, I want to make sure we're on the same page. The next one, you have an opportunity to be generous with your resources. And I'm hoping by faith that God stirs some of us today to be generous in both areas. We need to raise $4,000 and um, me and Jack, when we were praying, we did not come to give you guys a big lofty number. This was just a bare minimum. And let me explain to you, the chairs you're sitting in do not belong to us. This video camera in front that we're getting ready to launch our video sermon so that if you are sick and you are not able to make it to service, everything you see on my face, that video camera so that you can have um, service um, online, we'll, uh, we've been recording them all, we're gonna be uploading them. These mics, every single thing you see around here, um, we do not own them. And some of the things, like the sound equipment, we have about two weeks left. And so we need to raise $4,000. And I believe that God's going to do that through this community group. And so we're asking that you would help us to do that. Um, I have a pledge card. My wife has one. And even though me and Jack are here, and we're, we've given up our jobs, guys. And our wives have taken on more. And we're still going to find ways to pledge and give. We are also trying to take a step where that me and Jack can begin to have a modest salary. We will be a church with full disclosure. And our salary that we're um, proposing to start very soon is under $5 an hour. Um, but that's me and Jack's heart. And that's our family's heart that we want to see this church thrive. And so we're willing to take a salary of about $2.75 an hour. And we're willing to put in whatever amount of hours it takes to lead this church. Because that's how committed we are. And so you have an opportunity to contribute in both of these areas. And right now, as worship gets ready to get set up, um, you're going to have this next worship song to stay. You can come up, Vanessa, no worries. Oh, yeah, we don't have to be so It's all good. Um, and so as Vanessa is leading us in worship, um, I want you to spend time in prayer with the Lord. Um, I'm actually going to be leaving, and I'm going to go with my wife. And, and I want you to spend some time in prayer and ask the Lord what he might be calling you to do this morning. And then um, as the song ends, um, or as the song is going on, we're going to have people passing around a basket so that, you can put, um, so that you can put away the cards in the basket. Or on your way out, you can either hand them 
to someone with the badge. Um, you can either hand them to someone with the badge or if you feel more comfortable, the best place actually is in the, um, in the brown baskets behind you on the way out. You can drop these cards off. And so um, as Vanessa gets ready to worship, um, um, leads us in worship, I'm going to close in prayer and I'm going to ask um, that you in invite the Lord to this moment. Let's pray. Generous Father of grace and mercy, I thank you for my brothers and sisters that are here today. And Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to have our understanding of generosity hopefully reformed by Scripture. Father, as each person sits before me, armed with the opportunity to activate their generosity, I pray that it would come out of the right heart and the right power source. Lord, maybe today is the day that um, an individual or a family for the first time ever says, I want to trust you with my 10%. I've been going on too long doing it my way, God, and, I, and I'm sorry. I repent. I know that all my resources come from you. Lord, if that's someone here this morning, I ask that you would give them strength to do that. Lord, maybe someone stirred to give a one-time general pledge. I pray that they would know, Lord, that that's going directly to your kingdom. And perhaps, Lord, someone is um, feeling stirred up to give towards our 2019 essentials so that we can continue to do service here. I pray that we would have people that would give according to their means. And if, if that means a dollar or if in their means they can do something incredibly generous, whatever it means, would you stir us up to give according to our means? And then would we give beyond our means? Um, we believe by faith that when we do that, you will be more generous to us than we ever could imagine. So help us to trust you. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.